Hello, hello. This is Psychotronicast. We are back and we're here with a new series. I'm Alec Berg, coming to you live with Derek Estes, the talent in the bunker. Uh, guest, the bunker. Special guest star, Jack Berg, maybe waking up my son here or there, resting. Some squeaks. Yeah, he might be squeaking. That, that's just a baby on uh, Derek's chest. Ain't no thing about it. But check this out. We are on Spotify now. Uh, uh, you can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Fan, or our website, psychotronicast.com. If you ever feel like writing to us, you can at psychotronicast at gmail.com. We do have a Patreon. It's $5 a month. You can find that icon on our website now. Um, it'll take you to the Patreon page. For $5 a month, you will get an extra podcast for every time that we post a regular podcast on the forum that you're listening to this on. And, and you already are a Patreon subscriber, we thank you. Yes, all two of you. And to show our appreciation, uh, we already did an episode for Dennis, which is the Akira Kurosawa retrospective. And for our other Patreon subscriber, I don't know his name off the top of our head, he requested a <laughs> David Lynch episode. So if you're listening to this, other Patreon subscriber, head to the Patreon. We have Blue Velvet up for you. And then we'll also talk about some more David Lynchian shit on that episode too. So if you subscribe to our Patreon... Hey, what do you want to hear? And then we will make an episode specially for you, like we did the other two. So, come on, just join up. It's pretty easy. <laughs> All right, without further ado, Derek, the hell are you getting us into? All right. Well, I'm making up for the fact that we really haven't covered much Asian, definitely no kung fu movies. Um, I had thought in the past that when we would um, approach it more heavily, we, we did do Seating of a Ghost, which has... It's Shaw Brothers and has a little bit of kung fu, but it's uh, it's mostly a horror film. That um, I thought maybe we'd do like kind of the combination of King Hu with Ching Che, but uh, I decided that uh, Ching Che deserved his own series because uh, he is kind of considered like the like the kind of grandmaster of uh, Shaw Brothers Studios. He his career also like. Um, is a really great through line from Shaw Brothers in their prime. Um, King Hu is also amazing, um, and eventually we'll probably talk about some of his movies at some point, because um, they're really great. But yeah, right now we're just gonna focus on Cheng Che and focus on some of the different periods in his career. Uh, this episode, uh, we're gonna talk about the One-Armed Swordsman, which is um, both like kind of a lightning rod in his career, but then also with the Shaw Brothers studio in general, um, and kind of really helped uh, you know, put Hong Kong action cinema on the map. Um, Before we get into yeah. the whole deal, I just want to let everybody know, if you didn't know already, that this is one of the easiest series um, that we're going to cover as far as watching it for yourself. All of these are available on Amazon Prime. I yeah. mean, it's insane the lot of um, Shaw Brothers films that are on there. And the restoration is out of control. They really are. And it's the restorations were even done a while ago. Like They were done in the early 2000s when uh, Shaw Brothers... Like, it's funny. So, strangely, uh, their movies were kind of unavailable for a long time. There's a solid, like, 15 years where they were really hard to, um, to watch. Um, and partly, I guess I'll talk about that in a little bit, but uh, they kind of locked their stuff up. And then Celestial Pictures, I guess... You know, acquired all of their back catalog in the early 2000s and went about restoring them. Uh, sometimes controversially, there's, there are definitely people who uh, are upset about the, uh, the sound 
Um, mm. This kind of uses a lot of Hong Kong films, a lot of those John, early John Woo films. Also, people are really upset with some of the restorations to the, the sound work. And the dubs, some of these on Prime, um, I don't think you can switch through the languages. There's some I've looked You can't. Yeah, so some are, are going to be in Mandarin, some gonna, are going to be in English. And I'm totally like, um, like unless like a dub is like especially egregious, I'm so acclimated to like watching, you know, like foreign horror films and you know, Jalo and spaghetti westerns that um, my ear is I'm I'm so used to it that I, I have a pretty high tolerance. Um, but just to you know warn you that you might get some really goofy dubs, you can you know try to uh, embrace it. There's even some. Uh, in the movies where even midline, it's like they've redubbed something. So it's like even a different voice will come through. You're like, that's not the same voice, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so some people don't like that or they don't like the um, some of the updated special effects, like the gun sounds or little things. And I totally get that. I felt that way when um, with some of the restorations to Sergio Leone's films, like when they redid Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, but they put modern gun sounds in there. And you're like, no, it's like that's such a that pew pew like that's such a specific sound that I I kind of associate with those movies and they've kind of since fixed that but so I get that but um, for accessibility reasons you if you have Amazon Prime which a lot of people do uh, they have like I don't know hundreds of these movies available. yeah like it's it's really crazy um, yeah almost anything I've, I've wanted to look for Shaw Brothers related uh, at least in with these movies have all been there um, they're all kind of mixed through so if you don't know um, much about these movies or you wouldn't know where to start hopefully that's what we're here for is so we can give you some sort of um, some sort of context uh, to kind of get you started to watch these movies uh, there are so many that I still haven't caught up with so uh, many that and are I've been there. like you know I've been binge watching these like it's a TV series like I can't get enough um so, so yeah, great when you can get in that groove. Oh yeah, like what I did with the Akira Kurosawa filmography recently on the Criterion Channel. I was just like eating it up. Oh yeah, um, it is really nice because that was even the thing. Like, um, like I was talking to you earlier, but even sometimes like Jess Franco, like he has like this huge filmography, and surprisingly, a lot of his stuff is available, but it's a kind of expensive, and then you also have to like you have to look. And a lot of things are in like limited editions. Sometimes you have to import things from overseas, or you have to. You have to put a lot more work into them, yeah. and um, you know this. Just the fact that they're already they're out there. Uh, if you have a decent internet connection, you have access to these movies, um, which is really nice. So it means that we're going to be able to talk about a lot more movies in this series than we normally are able to. A lot of times, even with Jess Franco, like we pretty much stuck to four movies for the whole series. Um, some of these episodes will include four four movies, yeah, um, per episode. So this is the most like the biggest body that we're going to cover in a four-part yeah. series, I Absolutely. think. Definitely so far, but maybe ever. And I remember when they were filming uh, Kill Bill, Volume 1, which we'll kind of talk about in yeah. more in future episodes of this series, but I remember an interview with RZA, because he did the original music, or at least sampled music, that he compiled for original music for Kill Bill. When he met Quentin Tarantino for the first time and they were going to collaborate and work on that project... Rizzo was like so proud of his Shaw Brothers collection that he thought he could stump Quentin Tarantino and be like, oh yeah, well, do you own blah, 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 the Shaolin, whatever? Uh, I've got this, the only VHS copy known to man. He was just like, I have the original negative. Yeah. Like, of course you do. You're Quentin Tarantino. But I'm sure he was talking about some of these films that are now completely restored because this is in the early 2000s. 
and now we're in 2019 where everything has like a 4K dope restoration. Yeah. Um, a lot of them still don't have, I mean, on DVD, but yeah, surprisingly, a lot of them haven't been put out on Blu-ray yet, which is also really nice for people who can stream these, because uh, I was even ordering some from 88 Films in the UK, so there's a handful of them that I own, but, um, and that was before I realized that much of these are on Prime, but it is kind of nice having the disc, because I can choose the language, and they're, you know, they might have a special feature, an interview, or something contextual, which is, uh, you know... There's not a lot available as far as um, if you like interested in horror films uh, and you want to do like any kind of research, you want to read a book. There are so many books. There's so many different uh, resources available to horror fans. Um, Kung Fu and Hong Kong films, not as much as you would think. Um, it is definitely it's it's kind of like a ghetto within a ghetto. Uh, I've I have a couple books that I've been able to to pick up. And, um, you know, they are good, but they're not quite as, you know, they don't have quite as much information as I'd like. Same with websites, um, even like some of the different like databases for like Hong Kong or Kung Fu films, um, you know, are pretty patchy what information you can kind of put together. Um, And that also kind of goes in with uh, another disclaimer. Um, I will try my hardest to try to keep uh, all of the names straight. Chinese names are definitely a little difficult because um, a lot of them are very similar. And also these actors and the different players, their names change a lot. So um, even you know, in like film credits, they could be misspelled. Um, you know, people, even in, uh, I'll see, you know, even from the same source, then kind of like retranspose uh, the order of names Chinese, similar to like Japanese, they put their family name first, so like last name first. Uh, so sometimes you'll see like back and forth with a lot of that. Um, so, you know, uh, yeah, bear with us. We'll try to make things very clear. And a lot of these actors will also have an English name, uh, yeah. partly to help their popularity, which I will always aim for that. Yeah, uh, like Sonny Chiba. Exactly. So, um, you know, David Chang, uh-huh. you know, a lot of these people. So, um, so yeah. Well, I'll try to make things as clear as possible to the, make things uh, easy, but yeah, it's, you know. The title cards or credits at the beginning of these films, were they redone for the restoration? Yeah, I think so. Okay, because so, they I, look so modern. Yeah, there are some, I think they try to keep the, the original spirit of the movies. Um, and what I'm guessing is they obviously went back to the original negatives for a lot of these. And so a lot of them probably didn't have any kind of um, yeah. credits on them. Chinese films are also kind of interesting in Hong Kong because you know Hong Kong forever was uh, under British rule. Actually, you know, it's funny. It's funny we're recording this today uh, because Hong Kong is all over the news right now because it's the 22nd anniversary of Britain passing Hong Kong back to mainland China. Because They're breaking from the parliament? Well, they had um, like a 99-year lease, basically, you know, uh, on Hong Kong. So it was, it was under British rule and then going back to China, but... They had a stipulation in there for 50 years, Hong Kong would operate itself. Uh, so it'd be kind of like, you know, it wouldn't be beholden quite as much to Beijing. Um, but then there's been all this stuff happening recently where they tried passing a law so they would could extradite people to the mainland for crimes. And so right now, there's, uh, Hong Kong is, um, they're rioting and there's all sorts of protests and stuff happening there right now, uh, today. Uh, so yeah, it's actually kind of appropriate to be approaching Hong Kong today. And with Hong Kong films back in the day, maybe up until now even, if they made it 
in Mandarin or Cantonese, they'd always have to have English subtitles at yeah, the bottom. That's right. That's what I was going. Yes. Yeah, so oh, okay. Both. So they would have. So sometimes, um, if you, unfortunately, uh, we, I, we talk about the Hollywood theater here a lot, but uh, once a month, the Hollywood theater, uh, like every second Tuesday of the month, they do kung fu theater, uh, all in thirty-five millimeter prints. Uh, some definitely not in the condition that you're going to see uh, in these digital restorations, but uh, a lot of them when they are in Mandarin. Um, or some even Cantonese, I think, uh, they will have two levels of subtitles. They'll have English subtitles, and they'll have, like, Cantonese subtitles um, so people can understand them, uh, which is kind of funny, too. You get used to uh, the, the crazy dubs, but also some of the, like, hilariously bad subtitles. Like, the subtitle can just be so goofy and crazy. Um, but if you're into these types of movies, like... You know, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm kind of preaching to the choir on this one. It's, it's funny because there are some, like, reviews I'll read uh, for some of these movies. And I'm like, what movie are you guys watching? But I think it's a lot of those things where if you're not, um, you know, it's like you watch, like, you know, like a Lucio Fulci movie or, you know, Argento. And then you're going to be like, this, the plot didn't quite make sense. Or they didn't, you know, like, that's, you yeah. know, you're totally missing the point. Um, but, yeah, I, I've definitely read some reviews where people are like, oh, you are... You know, like you're trying to follow the plot in this movie, and you're like, this just doesn't like. There's a plot hole. You're like, that's not why you watch these movies. For real, um, it's it's so, pretty evident right away with any of these. Like with the first film that we'll tackle, the the original One Arm Stormsman from '67. I don't know what this movie's about, uh, to yeah. be honest with you. And I think it has something to also do with the dub and the fact that when I started watching the series, it was at like you know three thirty in the morning, and I have like my three-week-old son passed out of my arms and I'm probably like passing out myself so following anything is not my forte but watching these movies is like crack because it's like enough action Jackson to go around that it just keeps Generally, you if you can entertained. keep the, the, the concept that there are going to be some assholes that probably need their ass whooped and then you if you just know who the, you're like okay you, that's all you kind of need to know some of them do have stories and they will be but really you're going to find the story where you're like the plot is really what you know the story is what made this um and not to you know totally shit on the stories because they're, they're they are there and there's definitely subtext in there um but definitely like you're you're watching this for the spectacle yeah um and it really helps to watch the first one like the fir the original one-armed swordsman was the first shaw brothers film i watched in a long time like you know we covered seating of ghost and mm -hmm. i've seen stuff here and there throughout my life but not really dove into a particular Shaw Brothers genre and just rode a wave and the first one was hard where I'm like oh this is going to be a hard series for me to watch because there is still I think finding their footing it was in the late 60s it's not jam-packed a lot of action or like it's crazy squib violence and stuff so yeah. I'm like huh and then by the third film I watched I started to re recognize like oh it's that guy again oh it's these guys it's kind of like what Akira Kurosawa did with uh, Toshiro Mifune and absolutely the other guy and you're like oh cool like I know all these people now and you're yeah. like there they are and it's easier to differentiate the faces which I know is like uh, a faux pas but or um, well it is both I mean there are like I mean, well, you, it, know, a lot you of know how you say like you know yeah. a certain people of certain races like they all look the same and it's just like kind of can be true but then after you keep watching you're like oh that's that one that's that one i always relate it to battles without honor humanity we're like who the fuck is who in these because yeah. there's so many moving parts 
And even when you look at the, what was it, Criterion that put it out? Uh, Arrow. Arrow that put it out, you were, they even comes with like a map of like how to to decipher what the hell's happening in Battles of That Honor, Humanity. And that can happen, uh, I mean, that even happens to me like in movies where like, I mean, even though it's white people, but it's like there's two red-headed guys with mustaches. And I'm like, which red-headed guy with a mustache is this? And you'll have that. And I, in some of the period stuff, it can be a little difficult when their costumes get really similar. Yeah. Uh, I think it helps when people have like, you know, different personas and you know different personalities and and fortunately uh yeah later on we will it gets a lot easier Mm -hmm. Um, it gets easier as you watch and you find yeah it's kind of like you know a hard drug you know first time you do cocaine you're like oh that was fun or whatever and then if it's like watching a few kung fu movies like a few different times do cocaine you're like oh i can do this like every day oh yeah and now it's like i'm i'm all in i've watched five shaw brothers films in like four days and yeah. i'm like how this series can be 30 episodes long. that's it i mean they were like <laughs> even trying to for me it was definitely trying to edit down like what could be essential or what we could talk about because uh there are so many other ones that i'm like i've watched in the past month that i've like just been so in love with mm-hmm. um but yeah, you want to get into well, well the last thing little, I'll say. Okay, oh, sorry. The last thing I'll say about restoration and all that good stuff. It's surprising that the Shaw brothers are the ones that like took really great care of their negatives, or at least kept them or housed them. They must have had like their shit down tight because it's crazy watching something from Toho, uh, Jap- uh, the Japanese stuff, like mm-hmm. all the Kira Kurosawa films, like Seven Samurai and Before and After, and they look like a hundred years old. And you're like, damn, really? Like, well, this is the stuff that you can't, can't be sometimes restored? Sometimes that happens, too, where, um, you know, it's the unfortunate thing that happens to things that are incredibly popular. Mm. You know, where sometimes it's the most popular films because they're, like, they're striking so many prints and they're using that, they're beating that negative up so much to, like, keep, you know, making more. And if it's not totally well-preserved, then you're going to get that. Where there are movies that are, like, really, really popular, but even classic Hollywood films that, unfortunately, the, the uh, you know, source material is not in great condition where things have been kind of forgotten. You're like, this movie, like, no one's ever seen, but it looks, like, you know, totally freshly struck. I don't know the, the actual history of th- these restorations. You know, there's a lot of information that I haven't been able to, to figure out, but, uh, yeah, they, they do look pretty remarkable. Um, I guess just to kind of start off... Yeah, let's get into A the... little bit of context, I guess. Because, um, yeah, this, this, way, this is the, the front-loading one. I have all sorts of stuff. But um, and why this movie was so popular. Um, so up until this point, um, there had been quite a few like martial arts films. There's one guy in particular whose name I'm totally blanking on who did a whole series from the 40s to the 80s. Um, but they were usually in black and white. A lot of them were in Cantonese. Um, and they were you know, very bloodless. Uh, they were much more, I guess, you know, regional. Um, and so, you know, they've been going on for quite a while. And then during the, like, late 50s and early 60s, there was this strange thing that was going on, which seems really unusual, where a lot of the actors for both male and female parts were all played by women. Um, one reason I'd heard for this is that, uh, and it doesn't totally make sense to me, that, you know, people you know were working so much and they weren't like, you know, it's only women who are really able to go to the theater so much and they didn't really want like women like you know looking at these hunky guys or whatever that doesn't totally make sense to me considering especially both in the west and in the east um historically uh, you know if anything women weren't allowed to 
act. You know, it was considered yeah, like for real. That so a lot of men would play both parts. So you have a lot of histories with that, uh, both in you know, in Shakespeare, in Shakespeare, yeah. in you know, in Japanese theater, um, very common. So I I don't know a whole lot about that, but it is really interesting, and I would like to learn more about it. Um, so the One Armed Swordsman it comes out a year after King Who makes Come Drink with Me, and it was a really big um, film at the time. It's in color. It's in the wuxia style which uh comes from like old like chinese heroic stories kind of like uh you know like the nice shining armor style like you know heroic mythology um a lot of them also feature female protagonists king who would keep the female protagonists through most of his career um but it was a really big hit and it really started like bringing attention to these types of movies Come the following year, that was also made for Shaw, and King Hu would leave Shaw, and he would go to Taiwan and start doing stuff independently there uh, for the rest of his career, and he pretty much would stick with that genre. And that was when uh, Ang Lee, who's also from Taiwan, when he made Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, it was kind of as an homage to those early size, styles of film. And those ones with a lot of swordplay, they featured a lot of wire work, so a lot of the kind of like floating, kind of flying stuff. Which is interesting because I I really love that stuff. I think it's really cool to watch. So cool. Um, but there are a lot of people who, um, even a lot of like kung fu experts that really shit on those movies because um, they to them it's as shitty as CGI. Mm-hmm. Uh, I totally disagree. Um, I think that it adds this really cool element. You will get some of those effects in um, a lot of these Shaw Brothers movies where they'll even like reverse the image to you know show people like making these huge leaps yeah and stuff and for me I'm like I'm all for it like bring it but those those movies um, definitely have a certain style um, that that one on swordsman is definitely a part of uh, Cheng Che his career he had been mostly a screenwriter he had started directing in the late 40s but he was kind of uh, the big writer for Shaw Brothers. And he had done a film with uh, Jimmy Wang Yu, who's going to be the star of The Warm Swordsman, uh, and also uh, uh, Lo Lei, who became really famous later on uh, when he made King Boxer. In the U.S. is known as Five Fingers of Death. It's like one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite movies. And yeah. He even gets a little credit in the end of Kill, Kill Bill. Bill. Yeah. Um, and I haven't been able to find that movie, but that was kind of a, a hit around 64. So this movie comes out. Ching Che was really obsessed with, um, like, America, he was really into, like, Sam Peckinpah, and he's into, you know, a lot of these, like, American filmmakers, but he was really obsessed with James Dean, uh, and also, like, Marlon Brando. And, really, The One-Armed Swordsman is, in some ways, almost like an update of Rebel Without a Cause. It uh, has a lot of the same, uh, Jimmy Wang Yu, who, uh, another, you know, it's another big deal that we have a male actor uh, actually playing this, this part you have uh, full color you have widescreen mm-hmm. uh, you do have like you know quite a bit of action bloodletting you have you know, a lot of these things that just were really dynamic at the time um, and in this movie it starts off coming in the past where there's uh, like a lot of these movies there is a school oh I guess one other thing I should actually talk about before we get into this sorry okay. there's a lot it's is fine. Peking Theater the Peking Opera sorry uh, so Peking Opera was one of the primary uh, styles of entertainment in uh, Chinese culture, and it's now like considered like a, uh, you know, kind of a legendary part of their their identity. How, it's like kabuki for Japanese. Very similar, yeah. And it's a lot of um, 
you know, it's it's dance based, which a lot of kung fu really is. It is has its traditions in dance. It's very similar to like watching Gene Kelly or watching Fred Astaire, um, and they would have these schools. And they would usually take kids pretty young. Like Jackie Chan is a great example. Uh, Jackie Chan grew up in one of these schools where when he was 10 years old, his parents moved to Singapore. Or they moved to Australia. They, but they left him with um, this school. And they would train literally like, up to like 16, 18 hours a day. Like you just, you trained all day. You trained in music. You trained in, you know, like these kind of like in dance, in singing, and you know, it was like so insanely intensive. If and you've seen the new John Wick, John Wick Three, it's like the Russian school that Angelica Houston yeah, has, totally. which is a Patreon episode, by the way. Sorry, but anyway. they even like you would even. It was basically like uh, you were adopted. It was like you're part of the family. You would even take their last name. You yeah. know, you would. It was totally that's crazy. Like, so, um, and then by the end of the '60s, during the Cultural Revolution, they really kind of started falling out of favor. But a lot of those people. Um, who weren't doing Peking Opera end up um, you know, going into these films. That's also why you end up getting people like Jackie Chan who like uh, you know kind of similar to like Buster Keaton like one of his heroes is like they grew up doing this shit forever and it's like So that's why no one can do it better. N- yeah it's like they it's basically like you were your, your whole life was you were abused into being this like you know this amazing um, You're specifically good at athlete. this yeah. Um, so I guess, yeah, that's the one other thing that I think keeping in mind, like, because I will hear complaints, people, you know, will talk about these movies, like, oh, it's like they're just dancing. It isn't like fighting. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. It is a, st- a style of dancing. And actually, when we get into uh, Ching Che's uh, Vengeance, that movie makes explicit the similarities between Peking Opera and what's going on, where uh, T. Lung's character is actually in the Peking Opera. Yeah. And they, they go back and forth. And I believe that. This is personally why I am so fascinated by um, kung fu or whatever you want to call it as uh, just just watching it on the screen is because I didn't realize how much I loved musicals until you pointed it out. Yeah. And I love watching violent movies and then you marinate the two because it's just dancing and punching and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I can watch this forever. Yeah. <laughs> like West Side Story is a kung fu movie. Uh, yeah. I, when we saw it at the Hollywood Theater, I'm like... Blew my mind, and then just coming to think about it, anytime I watch, sit down and watch a musical, I'm like, I love this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, oh shit, like. So it is like, like and yeah. They also, have things with people like that, that you know, like being able to connect in that way, or you know, come at it abstractly. Um, it some people just don't have that ability. It's why some people just cannot stand musicals. They're like, this is not real. No one would ever do that. Um, and you just have to, if you can embrace the performance element of it, you can really have a lot of fun with these movies. So, back to One-Armed Swordsman. So the whole thing begins, it's in a, kind of a similar martial arts school. Um, and these, you know, bad guys basically, they, they come over, they attack the school. This servant comes up and he basically sacrifices himself. He like fights him off, breaks his sword. Um, and, the opening is hot shit. I really, yeah. I re- yeah, yeah. That's the it's just a really great fight scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's, he is killed. And then uh, the Sifu, the leader of this school, um, is like, you know, you've you know, made this great sacrifice. Like, your son, like, I will take your son in as um, a student. Yeah, you know, as a student. You know, I will raise him. Um, and then 
you know, flash forward, you know, however many years, and then we, we actually meet, um, I think it seems like Fang, the one who's supposed to be this, uh, uh, Jimmy Wang Yu, uh, who would become a really big star because of this. Um, and he's like, you know, chopping wood, and he's just kind of wearing like kind of raggedy clothes, and uh, the clothes in this movie. So then uh, the daughter of the Sifu, and then the other two like brothers in the school. Uh, come up and they basically are kind of hazing him because he's just dressed in his grubby clothes and they are wearing fabulous clothes. There's the one guy who's wearing the like leopard outfit. Yeah. Um, which this movie is kind of, this series is kind of taking place of our last year we did the queer films. Uh, Ching Che, he was married, but uh, a lot of people have, you know, questioned like, well, what the hell? Like, are you gay? And he's like, no. He's like, well, all your characters are gay. And. <laughs> That's kind of true. Like, it is kind of true. Like, these movies are full of... I was going to bring it up in the, the second episode. I'm like, okay, there's some homoeroticism going on. Of oh, hardcore. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, he was really into macho men and fabulous clothes. And he might have been straight. I'm not, you know, he claimed he was and he was married. So, um, but let's just say there is a whole bunch of homoeroticism throughout this entire series. Um and yeah, you, you definitely get that. So you instantly you're, you're getting these like class issues, you know, like he's kind of like, you know, you were the servant and you're like whatever. And there's kind of hazing him and she's kind of like flirting with him and it gets like kind of a hand and the Sifu comes. He's like, oh, you know, you guys just like leave him alone. And like, you know, why are you wearing the, your clothes? Like put your fancy clothes on, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, basically things keep escalating and they all end up going out into the woods. And then she's kind of like. They're kind of egging him on and kind of hazing him. You yeah. Know? And he's like, whatever, I don't want to fight you. It's like, oh, it's snowy too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yes. Yeah. It's just like really beautiful. The, the Shaw Brothers sets are so cool. It's all so artificial. Like, Oh my it's, God. It's like styrofoam and asbestos. Yeah. And it's like, it's crazy. These sets are like so great. You get so used to them. They use them so much. Like they were, they would shoot movies 24 hours a day, like constantly. So... They it's like the Brill things. Building for Kung Fu films. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, yeah, some really cool, cool sets in this movie. But they, uh, they're out in the snow, and basically she like sucker punches him with a fucking sword and chops his arm off. That's yes. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I can see you letting your guard down in front of a woman where he's just because he doesn't want to like fight her for he's, real. Yeah. He's like, no, 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 no. And then they kind of he's like, all right, are you done? Are you done? Because he's like easily getting her, but just playing it easy and then she just they, they they stop doing whatever little battle they're doing and he's just like alright and then she's like yeah and just chops his arm off and um, as far as like the two one armed swordsmen I really love the way that he loses his arm in the new one oh, yeah. so much more in the first one because the first one's kind of like wait huh like come on man you're like a kung fu master or whatever you should have saw that coming. or not even seen it coming but your reflexes would have been so good, but yeah, by, by with a woman and stuff involved, maybe you're just like you know plays with your heart so much. Oh, oh and yeah. there's the little well, it's kind of like Jack it, cameo, it's sort of like in Rebel at a Cause, like you know. Oh, here's oh, he there. likes back pats. Oh, just, back pats? just oh, you, you can you can pat him hard. Okay. He loves like yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah, um, there you go. <laughs> but, you know, it's it, it's very similar to you know the Chicky Run and like you know the you know just those. You know, kind of like proving your manhood, and you know what is what does it still mean? He was gonna like avenge his father, and he has this interesting one of his things. He carries around his father's broken sword, mm-hmm. um, and the, you know that ends up like 
The sword props in all of these movies. Oh yeah, they're great. They're so um, they're like kids Halloween costume swords. Oh yeah, I love it. So he ends up wandering off. Um, he ends up like over on this bridge, and he like you know falls off the bridge, but he ends up in this like little boat. Everyone else thinks that he just like drowned in the the river and just floated away. It's like oh, okay, he's dead. Um, and then well, it's funny because they like also the way they try playing it off. Because the Sifu ends up showing up, and he's like, oh, what happened to Fang? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. He, like, took off. And he's like, what's that? And it's his fucking arm. Yes. You know? And they're like, oh, uh, you know, he's like, oh, you guys are the worst. For real. Uh, so he, you know, falls in the boat. He gets rescued by this girl. And then her, like, whatever, her guys, like, kind of help, like, nurse him back to health. And he wakes up, like, a week later. And he's, you know, missing his arm, totally pissed off. And he's just kind of, like, he's brooding and, you know... Moody and he doesn't want to like he feels he's kind of useless and can't do anything and she has a whole history where like her father was murdered like he was like a, a swordsman and you know her mother kind of warned her like not to fall for like these guys because they'll like go you know kill themselves for honor and you know wow. you want like this kind of you know a guy who's going to be like more settled down oh so, see that's one of the things I had trouble picking up with the movie yeah and it was maybe because of the dubbing or my my tiredness oh yeah but i was like what's happening right now but yeah okay so, so that good. becomes like part of you know it's like the flashback of like oh uh, yeah okay you know, and then her mother has like that book and then uh but she's basically trying to you know she really likes him but she's like okay i think you know in her mind she's like well i'm gonna you know find this guy he can't fight he doesn't have a you know he doesn't have an arm like he can be <laughs> my like normal like my whatever my stable guy um and then he kind of you know learns to you know live his life and but he's still kind of bummed, you know, feels bummed out. And then she eventually, like, ends <laughs> yeah. up sympathizing with him. And she gives him this book that uh, her mother had had, like, tried to burn, but then saved, that teaches um, left-handed sword fighting. And so he ends up, like, kind of, you know, practicing and getting a little bit better. Meanwhile, there's this mysterious bad dude called Longarm. And you never see his face for a long time. Um that has developed this weapon. He wants to take down the Sifu, the the original one that had raised Fang, uh, because they're known for the they have like these ten inch swords, mm-hmm. and so he has developed this weapon that locks the swords, so that like it's like, yeah, it's kind of like a sword with a latch on it. Yeah, and it's like a clam shucker. Yeah, totally. So then you know they use this as their weapon. So when they fight them. Uh, they can just lock it and then just like slice them, you know, with their other arm. So this is all like kind of going on, and there's like the the different like rivals. They end up going into town, and for like there's uh, this big like fair going on, and uh, they end up running into like the the girl, the daughter of this original master and their brothers and then these other like bad dudes. Yeah. There's this other guy who's kind of like he's trying to run up the ranks and get his shit going on. But then now, gosh, I'm like trying to remember how this all goes down. Well, they're trying to like get the girl, the the fucking arm cutter. Uh, They're trying to lure her back to like whatever spot they're going to do to probably uh, kidnap her and do a ransom like that whole deal. And then the one-armed swordsman is like, oh, I better, like, help her out. And I'm like, dude. And he puts that mask you, on. I'm like, dude, you are Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. you're going to help the woman that chopped your fucking arm off? Exactly. Crazy. 
Yeah, so then, yeah, she does end up getting, like, kidnapped, and then he ends up going and, like, um, you know, fighting to, like, go save her. But then it's funny because then, like, now everything started to, like, blend together, these movies. But then when he does, like, you know, get her, like, he rescues her, and she obviously knows who he is because he's missing yeah. an arm. He's like, how do you know it was me? It's like, uh, well... Well, you have one fucking arm. And you have your sword that you've had your whole life, and whatever. It's, yeah. It's obvious. You're still wearing your same clothes. But then she puts the moves on him, and then he's like, no, like, I got a girl, you know? And she's yeah. like, what? Like, a country girl? Like, what? Like, I can't compare with that. It's like, bitch, you're, you should be happy that I'm, I haven't decapitated you. Exactly. Come on. Yeah. <clears throat> so, there's all of this, like drama going on with all of them and then like his girlfriend hears this and every all the women are complicated which is a theme with him is when he does have um female characters for the most part they do tend to be kind of uh, well secondary but also like usually just to kind of like complicate things for the the hero mm-hmm. um classic hollywood shit but only yeah in totally hong kong but it's weird because yeah like w- compared to other people especially king who where it was a lot of um very female oriented and a lot of um you know female protagonists uh not so much in ching chase films yeah um this is the part of the movie where i was like all right like that's there's like the there's i feel like there's a good 25 20 percent of the movie where i'm like and then or like come on and yeah but also this was my first like shaw brothers film like diving in so that didn't help either so yeah even though this is a good introduction point, this might be hard if you haven't seen this film to like get through it and be like, why did they watch so many of these? It oh, yeah. really gets like I don't know. once I, you start. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe for me specifically, yeah. this was the hardest film for me to watch. Yeah. Either it, also, it was my first movie, or yeah. it was very late at night. I don't know. But I did still like. I, I love the beginning of the film um, when they did get down to the nitty gritty. It was awesome. But in general, that's, yeah, this is when the movie started being like, huh. And also the dubbing, uh, specifically for this movie, and maybe it was just because of the sound, I don't know, it was hard for me to pick up some of the actual sentences said, where they were saying it in such a weird phonetic way, Yeah. where I'm like, what did they just say, <laughs> like kind of thing, I don't know, this 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 part, and then, yeah, this film in general is hard, but then it just keeps getting better and better, so. Oh, yeah. Anywho. Continue. But yeah, so I mean, going on, I mean, it's like, there's like, the series, like the other guys, like the guys who helped rescue him, like, they get murdered, and then there's, like, the other, like, brothers from the the school all get killed, like, they, there's gonna be a big birthday party for the main dude, like, the, uh, or the main teacher, because he's turning, like, 55, and he needs to get, like, he wants to retire, and he's trying to find somebody who can take over. Crazy to retire at 55, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, they lived hard. Dude. Uh, so that's the other thing going on. So everyone's kind of like getting ready. And so all of his other disciples are like getting ready to show up to this thing. But the meanwhile, long arm is, uh, isolating them and then starting to like murder them all off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's not doing it himself. It's like his disciples are doing it because a lot of these movies, you know, a lot of it's honor based. So sometimes you will have things where you're like, well, why doesn't everyone just like gang up? And it's like, they're just kind of doing it one at a time. Uh, and part of it is like, they are trying to sh- save their own face to like, you know, how, you know, how do we do this? You Mm -hmm. know, how do we, like, so it's like, I'm not going to actually fight them, but I'm going to let all of my cronies do it. Yeah. Um, You know, and there's some really, there's that really great scene uh, when he fights them all off in that tea house. 
is one of my favorites. It's really good where he's just like throwing like chopsticks <laughs> and just like stabbing him. Um, but ultimately, we all end up the the plot devices to get everyone together. Basically, everyone ends up at the birthday party, um, and so does Longarm. Longarm shows up, and you finally see his face, and lo and behold, it is the guy from the beginning who uh, you know ended up slaughtering slaughtering his father. And as they're fighting, like his, he can't lock uh, Fang's like Marm Swordsman's sword because it's a short sword because his father's broken one, and so he's able to like get through it. And he fights with his left arm anyhow, so he's able to like kill everyone else off. And then like uh, Longarm brings out his his crazy whip and just starts whipping him like crazy. Um, but yeah, then they end up. He ends up yeah. Killing him off, and then just he slaughters like the entire posse, and yeah. then they're kind of like, okay, well, you know, you can, you can do this now. You, can, you know, you should be like the, the man, the man. And he's like, no, and he just wanders off and goes to go live his life. And then you just like pan up and you see like all the dead bodies, yeah, <laughs> at the temple, um, yeah. And then that's that is the end of that. It kind of reminds me. I mean, maybe because I watched this pretty close by but uh paths of glory <laughs> with with kirk douglas where the the main general dude at the end was just like oh you're just trying to get like that that guy off so you can like rise to the ranks and take his position he's like you don't know me at all do you yeah and just kind of like walks away like i i shun that position and like you know conforming to whatever and it's just like yeah a little similar but yeah i'm stretching hardcore uh yeah, so that's the original One-Armed Swordsman. And, and then they bunch. Yeah, so then why did they bail from that specific actor and then bring in the new troop who we've come to know and love so well, much? So at this point, so that Jimmy Wing Yu becomes like a really big star because of this. Oh, so and it's so, all of the money based? Well, sort of. So what happens is, um, you know, right after this, they end up making um, a few movies. Like they make like The Assassin, which is really cool. And they basically have a lot of the same people in that. They do Return of the One-Armed Swordsman. And they also do a sequel to King Who's Come Drink With Me called Golden Swallow. Also, Jimmy Lee is really good. And then um, right around this time, like in like 70, I think, is when he ends up making a movie called Chinese Boxer. Mm. And it's, I think even before King Boxer, it's one of the first movies. He directs it himself. Um, and he has both arms. Okay. Um, but he, it's about um like you know empty-handed fighting so it's basically like kung fu kung fu um and this is like before you know bruce lee and you know a lot of so it becomes this huge success um like it you know i think breaks all the records like uh one-armed swordsman is known as like the first million dollar movie the shaw brothers had uh or okay. the, the first million dollar movie in hong kong wow um so it was a really huge Huge deal. Yeah, I have something I mean, to say about the Hong Kong stuff. When I was looking up, you know, when they when these movies came out in the theaters or how how they were released in Hong Kong, because I know Shaw Brothers, you know, were based out of Hong Kong, and I know Hong Kong has like thirty two million people, so these movies were regional, even though it reached such a broad audience. And I was looking at like the runtime in the theater, and they were only in the theaters for like three weeks. Yeah, it'd be like boom, boom, on to the next one. You're like, wow. Well, Shaw Brothers was making. Like they were making full feature films within ten days, so they they Crazy. would put out like forty films a year. Yes, um, and they were also doing. I mean, they weren't just doing 
uh, martial arts films or kung fu films, they were you know they were doing romantic films and they were doing you know horror films and they were doing they were doing a lot of stuff. Um, but these are the kind of the ones that a lot of people remember what their name is really known for. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they were just like cranking them out left and right. And Shaw Brothers, so Run Run Shaw, the Shaw Brothers had been operating films since like the twenties, um, and they had kind of had like there's so much just chaos going on at the time. Like they had started in Shanghai and then when the Japanese invaded Shanghai, they moved things to like Hong Kong and they had a presence in Singapore and they were like really big in the Southeast Asia. And then, uh, like I think then the Japanese invaded through there as well. They hated the Japanese. The Japanese are usually the villains in these movies. Yeah. Um, so then they ended up just working out of Hong Kong and they became like the shop, the, it was called the Shaw Brothers Studios by like 57. That's when they started building their studio. And they bought like a lot of land really, really cheap. Um, and they had, yeah, it was a huge studio. It was the biggest independently owned studio in the world. Because um, it was just owned by the family. That's crazy. Um, by the brothers. By like Run Me, Run Run. Um, I can't even imagine pretty, the empire that they have now. Yeah, I mean, or, Run Run Shaw, he, I mean, he lived to be 106 years old. He died in 2014. Wow. Um, and he was really pretty involved um, it's a lot of this. So they, but their studio, they housed people. They had like I think twelve hundred employees, but they had their own editing, dubbing facilities, um, everything. I mean, the whole thing was. It's like the there. Google campus, kind of, yeah. And but they would also be shooting these movies. Like if a film was shooting, it would it could be shooting like, you know almost twenty four hours a day because they would have assistant directors. Yeah, doing like the night shift, and they'd have like you know. We'll talk about that more extensively the third or second or third installment. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. I, w- I looked up some research on that. And I'm like, ooh, but I'll share that. Yeah, when we get to the boxer. But it's like so they were just doing so much stuff, and then um, once yeah, so all these movies get really big. So what happens with Jimmy Wang Yu is after a Chinese boxer gets big, he decides that he wants to move on and he ends up uh, breaking his his contract with Shaw Brothers to go work for their rival uh, Golden Harvest and Golden Harvest was started around 1970 by an ex-Shaw Brothers executive Raymond Chow and then he left to go uh, start his own company but instead of having like their own studio the way that uh, Shaw Brothers did he would work with like independent producers and mm-hmm. you know people and uh, like I was telling you a little earlier like that uh, he was able to attract a lot of talent because he would pay way more than the Shaw Brothers like their whatever you know the wages that they were going to pay yeah. people so that was how they ended up getting Bruce Lee and then later Jackie Chan I mean they've done that similarly in wrestling I remember when I was growing up and WCW was trying to make a name and try and take all the old veterans out of the WWF they were just offering these huge contracts to like yeah Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan like all those guys and just poaching them and moving them from like USA Network to TNT Network which is only a channel above and eventually WCW folded but uh, what happened to that studio is it still around or did it kinda... uh, they still I mean they um, I mean they had like their their piece and they ended up by the end of the 70s like they were more successful than the Shaw Brothers and then um, and yeah, part of that was just, you know, just the different types of movies they were making. And then by the mid-80s, when John Woo really started making it big, after like A Better Tomorrow and, you know, a lot of those films, then they really did well. But they also did a lot of, um... Oh, uh, Jack. Uh, this... Oh. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they ended up doing really well. But they also were doing, um, 
you know, some co-productions with the U.S., like they co-produced Enter the Dragon with Warner Brothers. Okay. Uh, they also co-produced the Cannibal Run movies. What? Uh, oh. That's why Jackie Chan's in those. Oh, yeah. Like, He's oh. in the first two. Yeah. So, and then they got all these people. So that's also like a Golden Harvest film. Um, so, yeah, they were like doing a lot more, like they were kind of reaching out. Um, but, I mean, they also had like, you know, after Bruce Lee died, you know, everybody was kind of like, fuck, what are we going to do now? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so he ends up becoming a big star. And so uh, right around that time, uh, and we'll definitely get into in a little bit uh, for the, the next episode, we'll, we'll touch down. He starts building these other stars. So uh, two of them being David Chang, uh, who would be kind of like one of Chang Chai's mainstays. He ends up becoming a pretty big star on his own. And he's like in... Um, you know, the first couple of movies that they really start doing, he, he really kind of stands out and does really well. And then they pair him. Uh, he's kind of like crazy. His, he's very charismatic, but he's not like necessarily conventionally handsome. He reminds me almost like James Coburn or something. Okay. Like really tiny. But so the thing is, he's like a pop star where he's like super stylish, has like really great hair, and he just has this like this total flair. And then he's paired usually with uh, T. Lung, who's, like, this kind of, like, big, strapping, kind of macho dude. And they end up what considered, like, the Iron Triangle, uh, which is the the two, like, David Chang and T. Lung uh, with director Chang Che. Um, and so the, the new One-Armed Swordsman is actually, actually comes a little bit later into the Iron Triangle series, which we're going to talk about a little more in the second one. Um, but you have David Chang as the one-armed swordsman, and you have T. Lung uh, as his his little buddy. Another person I uh, I should also mention um, with all of this is the fight choreographer uh, Lucia Lang. He there were a couple. There was uh, Lucia Lang and uh, Tang. I can't think of the other guy's the, his first name. But they were like the big fight choreographers for the Shaw Brothers, and in particular for Chang Che. And they have like really extensive, um, you know, backgrounds in martial arts. Like uh, Lu Xilong, like his family is like a you know kind of almost a dynasty of martial arts knowledge. So he does all the choreography for these films, um, which really adds to a lot of these like fight scenes. And then later, by the mid seventies, he finally branches out to start directing his own films, mm-hmm. and he becomes probably the second most notable director for the Shaw Brothers. Um, he just like. You know, some of their masterpieces, like uh, the 36 Chambers of the Shaolin, uh, he does uh, like Eight Diagram Pole Fighter, and he is much more martial arts based, so he's um, also incorporating a lot more of the uh, the philosophy of the martial arts and not just the kind of flashy, uh, exciting parts. So you, you end up getting more of the overall balance of, you know, what your, like the you know, like your mind and body and how you're bettering yourself and how you're using other people's energy against you, you know, back against them. A lot of those things that you're, you're not getting in any of these other real movies, it's not really their concern, even including Bruce Lee, where, you know, it's like they, they're there to hurt and that's it. They're not like, yeah. they're not necessarily looking to like, um, you know, find that, that balance. But his movies are definitely much more about that, like, that yin-yang balance and, uh, they have much more of a martial arts background um, than necessarily like a storytelling or the the melodrama. That's the thing too with these movies. Uh, both of these one armed swordsman movies 
we were getting into is melodrama is really huge in Hong Kong film. Like, mm-hmm. that's a big deal. Even those uh, early John Woo films. I mean, A Better Tomorrow is like, it's, you know, it's a melodrama with like amazing gun fu. <laughs> um, and so it's like a lot of those relationships with the brothers. And that even goes through in like martial arts. I mean, like, uh, you know, probably expect just watching the first raid is totally, all, you know, like a lot of those elements, like, the two brothers, the one on the you know this side and that that yeah. side, and a lot of the the doubling. And did you re, did you watch the raid? The original? I watched the first one. I said I only seen the second one. Yeah, that's right. Because I showed you the second one like a couple of years ago. I was like, you have to see this film, and I'll just catch you up on the first one because I really like the action in the second one better. Yeah. But going back to revisit the first one because I did that probably a handful of months ago, which is totally I don't know if you ever saw it knocked off by the Judge Dread reboot with Carl oh, Urban about ten years ago called Dread, uh-huh. which is good too. But it's like literally the raid. But with dread, same thing. Yeah, goes to a, a giant building. Drug dealers running the whole deal. Oh, they got to so get funny. to the top floor. It's the same movie. It's hilarious. But I like both of them a lot. Yeah, I'm glad you got to watch the raid, uh, the original. Yeah, that's totally. really cool. It's definitely. But yeah, you're like because I had just been watching all this like all those early Woo films too, and I'm like, oh yeah, same thing. It's so like did the same the John Wick trilogy that I had you watch like kick off this action packed. Jam it was deal? a mix because it was like uh, I had the Master Cinema, like the Jackie Chan, like the police story one and two. So I'd been like watching those. Then I'd watching all the Charles Bronson. It was like all of these like, um, but yeah, that was like right in the middle of all of this. So the perfect storm. Yeah, totally. Because it was like a lot of stuff that I've been like kind of watching and like, back and forth. And I'd seen a couple of really good kung fu theaters like back to back. Yeah. Since so great. this episode is super jam packed. We're going to take a break for one second. I just wanted to remind everybody once again that we do have a Patreon. And uh, whether you like it or not, here are the episodes that we have already covered. So if you join, it's only $5 a month. And then you get all of these great episodes, including we did one on uh, the film Possession, which if you haven't heard of it, it'll blow your fucking mind. We did an Akira Kurosawa retrospective, uh, why all the John Wick movies are so goddamn good. We did uh, Harry Belafonte film noir, Odds Against Tomorrow. We talked about HBO's The Deuce. We talked about the Criterion Channel. We did the Sun, uh, Sunset Boulevard. We uh, did a simulcast that you can find for free on this forum on Jordan Peele's Us. We also did The Hidden, a lost gem with Kyle MacLachlan. If you want to see um, Homeboy basically play... Uh, the dude from Twin Peaks before Twin Peaks even happened. I don't know why I can't think of his name right now in Twin Peaks. Agent Cooper. Oh, yeah. Sorry. It was originally in The Hidden. We did it uh, The it Happened One Night, which is probably the best screwball comedy ever made. We also covered the best worst movie of 2019, hands down, Serenity, which, uh, sneak preview, we are going to cover another 2019 Matthew McConaughey Film the he's beach bum. He's been killing it for like I. We'll get it's into one of the most it on fun the movies I've seen the theater. This oh my god, we'll get into it on the Patreon. But Matthew McConaughey is like sneaky, one of the best in Hollywood. We also did one of my personal favorites when I was a kid, Die Hard with the Vengeance. We did a Sam Peckinpah retrospective. We did a Robert Altman's entire filmography, which enti- which enticed you to basically watch his entire filmography. Yeah. Uh, we did this crazy short film called The Beast. That you introduced me to. Oh, yeah. We talked about how Filmstruck died, when it died. 
We did a Tom Cruise filmography, which was my doing. Sorry about that. <laughs> and then we kicked it all off with all of our favorite memorable moments in movie theaters. We have covered a lot of shit on Patreon already, and we can't wait to cover more. So if you would like to come over, join the dark side, help us keep the lights off and the TV on, that'd be fucking legit. Okay, back to the Kung Fu. Yeah. All right, on to the new One-Armed Swordsman. Yeah. So the new One-Armed Swordsman... Uh... So, yeah, I, I was just saying, sorry, I might be repeating myself because myself, so I just took a little break. Uh, Jimmy Wang Yu, the original One-Armed Swordsman, he's off, he's been doing his own movies. He's still even doing one-armed boxing movies. He's whatever. He also is doing, at the same time, a Zatoichi movie, like the famous Japanese series, like 25 movies about the blind swordsman, uh, which was right after they had just done one with uh, Zatoichi meets uh, Yojimbo, and Toshiro Mifune plays oh, Yojimbo and does that. And then right afterwards, then Jimmy Wang Yu comes and it's like, Zatoichi meets the One-Armed Swordsman. Kind of great, but also kind of shows you, puts into context how big these three characters were in Asia. You know, it's like Yojimbo, Zetouichi, One-Armed Swordsman. Like, this is this is big. Especially when we consider that they're making the jump to Japan. Yeah, totally. Which, yeah. Um, so, anyhow, I don't know what, like, again, the things I really want to know, uh, I don't, like, what prompted this. So, if it was just uh, Shaw Brothers executives, like, we need more One-Armed Swordsman, or we need to compete because... When you is doing other one arm swordsmen, that's our pro- that's our property. It was kind of um, like when, um, oh my god, who was the first 007? Sean Connery. Oh yeah, he wanted he made his own 007 he did, movie. Like, Never say never again. Exactly, yeah. and they're like, what? And like, yeah, it's like witches in the canon. Uh-huh. Um, and but also, I want to point out, you know, this this reboot. It was a total reboot. It's not a remake. It's not a sequel. Uh, because he even has a different character name. He's not like Feng Gang anymore. He's like uh, Lei Li. Yeah. Um, you know, this is only four years after the original. So, you know... It's it kind of like a, the, how the new Spider-Man movies work. Exactly. So that's one of those things where, you know, it's easy to get bogged into like, God, they just keep remaking things and they just keep rebooting things. Um, when really, it's like people have always been doing that. So yeah. So it's like, we can put our energies towards caring about other stuff. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so they reboot it and they do a dynamite fucking job. Uh, so this time is David Chang as, uh, as our hero. And I love like even the opening, like he's just like on a, on a horse, just going around, just like slaughtering people left and right. And then when he, yeah, no, I just want to say like, I didn't know who the bad guy was or who the good guy was for like the first 20 minutes. I'm like, Oh, everyone just sucks. Oh yeah. Like no one's good in this movie. Yeah. That's what I really liked about it. Oh, absolutely. Well, I love, and then he ends up coming to like this post massacre and it's so great because all of the guys are dead but they're all in this crazy tableau where it'll be like one guy is you know like whatever like stabbed to a tree then there's another dead guy with his hand still on the like the knife in the other guy's gut but yep. he's dead you know whatever it's just like I love totally. how yeah how the bodies are staged in this film it's, it's great so cool uh, so then he's there and then this um, you know gang leader or whatever like he comes along basically sets him up to uh he's trying to take down you know everybody like any competing like rogue swordsman and so uh Lei Li is you know a huge threat David Chang and uh so he basically like he you know sets up a duel like okay like I'm gonna I'll fight you and then if I lose I'll like cut off my own arm you know and uh, David Chang, you know, he agrees. He's like, okay, I'll do this. You know, once they end up fighting, 
uh, he loses, and then honorably he cuts off his own arm and stabs it to a tree. Way better than the first dude cutting it's off dynamite. his arm in the first one. And even the guy who he's like feud or battle against, like, you don't have to do that. It's okay. You can just admit defeat. And he's like, no, I, I honor my word. Yeah! You're like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, I was on board after like the first two minutes of this film. Easy. Like, yeah, yeah. oh, this is, I like this one so much better. Yeah, it's so great. Um, also, and- the introduction into. Long cigarettes. Oh yeah, it's like a absolutely. big thing in Chin Che movies, or at least the ones that I've seen. Especially like, with David Chang, he's almost like known. There's a, a point in um, the boxer from Chantung where you see a cigarette holder just at, coming from the side of the frame, and you don't even see David Chang yet, but you just know it's him. Yeah, You're like oh, here he is. It's, it's like, like I know I'm signature. late, but my cigarette got here ten minutes ago. It's so fucking cool. Um, so then that ends up sending uh, our hero. To go in hiding, and he's working um, in a tea house, and he's basically a waiter, which is another like element of this movie that I think is really great working in the service industry. Yes, because um, there's like this scene where there are these other like you know fighters, and they're kind of in there, and they're just like hazing him. They're like, oh, just you know, this table's sloppy, just mm-hmm. like old cripple over there, just can't even clean my table. And he does this fucking thing where he just like he like beats on the table and everything flies up and yep. he wipes the whole thing down and everything falls back down on the table. Yeah, it's just like gets super like crazy cartoony, but it's amazing. It's kind of just to mention Spider Man again, the Sam Raimi one where he accidentally knocks a tray up and uh, Spider Man like catches all of the food on his tray. That's awesome. I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's from the this movie. Maybe like, just a little nod, but maybe it's just a coincidence. Yeah, it's but yeah. So this. Um, just all of this shit going on and then but he's also hiding his identity like he was known as like this amazing swordsman but then he doesn't want like um, anybody to know that the, the tea house owner knows um, but then there's also this like love interest that's really into him but she doesn't totally know what his deal is either um, and he's just like being really cagey I'm gonna like my notes are so like crazy on this. I'm like, oh it's my fine. god, this. We don't gotta but, go beat by beat. But I do love um, when T Long shows up, and he's just like, I don't know, he's just like in his like crazy, sexy, sauntery outfit. Like he's just wandering around. He's just like, oh, like who's this guy? Mm-hmm. And they have like they're kind of, you know, um, kind of checking each other out. He still doesn't know exactly who like. David Chang's character is, and he eventually does. He's like, "Oh my God, you're Lei Li! Like you're one of the greatest swordsmen! Like you yeah. just, you know, I haven't seen you for a year because I think it's been a year or something since." And speaking time. of years, in all of his films, a year passes that I've seen so far. Oh yeah, that makes sense. it's always been a year. It's a year from the first one when when he trains himself and to be left-handed. A year with this when he becomes a server. In the duel, a year passes. In vengeance, a year passes. I'm like, yeah. what is happening? Yeah, there's always a year break in there's these always, stories. You always need. Well, it's cool actually in this movie too. The way that um, time flies by because uh, there's that scene where you're at the kind of like post massacre like after he's lost his arm, it's stacked to the tree. Where then um, it kind of cuts and you see like all the bodies that have been there, but they've turned to like skeletons. And yeah, all the trees have changed, and you see like. His his skeletal hand like yeah. still sticking to the tree. Um, it's cool. It's very cool. Really cool. Um, I also my favorite um, bad so far in all the movies when it comes to like the final boss. Yeah. And my favorite weapon when he has like the tri staff thing. Oh, yeah. I'm like cool. Like 
he's he differentiates himself from any other bad guy I've seen in any of these movies so far. He's got like a technique, and also something as silly as like uh, the one armed swordsman cracking eggs halfway through the film to show like how he can defeat. Uh, the guy yeah. at the end when uh, his boy died earlier in the film and saying, "If only I had three arms, I could have, I could have died." Yeah, it's like the Lung when he has that final battle. Exactly. They have like they and I love their whole relationship is so great because you know, even though there's ostensibly like a romance between the girl, it's definitely the romance is totally between the guys. Like they even like there's that. Uh, Scene where they're like hanging out, and T Lung is just hanging out on that wire, mm-hmm. just like lounging. It's like, oh, you should hang out here with me, and they're just like flirting, and they're you know, it's like it's supposed to be like the brotherhood love, but it's just like they are just so into each other. But then there's the school, like uh, the main school nearby, that there's causing all these like problems, and the main guy T Lung's character needs to go like fight them, you know, and it's like. If he's a fucking badass. There's a lot of these movies have that, like, one person against 50 or, like, 100 people. Yeah. And I love the way those battles play out. They're so kinetic and exciting. And the other thing that I didn't even mention in the first one, Swordsman, one of the other things that was really innovative was that Chang Chase, besides, like, using, like, slow motion and things that he was, you know, getting from Japanese movies and, like, Sam Peckinpah, um, but he started using um, handheld camera. And it's really interesting. When you see in the first one, Swordsman, at the main battle, when everything switches over to the handheld... It um, it just looks as everything's so stately and just very static in those movies, and everything's even very formal. And then when it starts getting this kinetic element of the handheld camera, uh, you start you seeing that a lot more in his movies, uh, where you start seeing like these fight scenes with tracking shots uh, that are like super elaborate, uh, really you know like this 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 energy that he's adding to it that was totally absent from those earlier films where it was very. Uh, gonna be very static very still camera and you're watching everything like you know from this distance and his cameras really get up in there and he uses a lot of like foregrounded stuff so he adds a lot of depth to the scene there's stuff happening way in the background way in the foreground um it's great but then when yeah t-lung has his big his big fight and he ends up going down his also these characters this is going to be a theme through all of these movies um and it's um, both amazing and ridiculous, but his characters do not go down. Like they, no. even if they go, like boy, you will get shot in the fucking chest. They're the Terminator. And you still have like three. Like you're going okay. I'm gonna still have two hundred people I need to kill with this fucking whatever. Some crazy wound that should have taken anyone down. I mean, it's also like I mean, we're talking about characters who just like you get their arm chopped off and they're just like bummed. Yeah, you know? like these are the toughest fucking guys. So when uh, T Lung finally does go down. Um, you know, it's it's super brutal. And he realizes, too, that he needed one more sword. Because he has two swords, but then with that, like, three, like, whatever, like, that triple stick thing that he has, um, yeah, he just gets gets taken down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when, uh, you know, David Chang finally finds out, like, what's happened to his guy, there's even a lot of, like, the way that things are shot. Like, the Shaw Brothers have like these amazing like sunsets and everything's very artificial and just like hyper dramatic yeah um, it's like a Douglas Sirk melodrama um, but it is kind of moving like when he realizes that you know his buddy's not coming back and then he you know he was killed and it's just like this moment not only killed but the way that he was killed is so rad just to hang his body from yeah to like hang his body from wires but then he breaks out of him really quick and they're like alright let's try it again 
and then they stretch them out uh, and just chop them in half. Oh, yeah. And you're like, oh, I was not ready for that. And then when it happened, I was like, fuck, yeah. Like, <laughs> I love too when the movie main guy pulls out like, all the stops. When he's just like, oh, that kind of ruined my day. Like, I need to, you know, go clean up this mess or whatever. Yeah, it's like he's they killed like, him like that and they're just like, huh, was that excessive? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're like, I don't know. It's yeah. Shaw Brothers, baby. It's so great. Um, A couple of the moves that I saw in this film. And maybe came prior. I'm not a pro when it comes to kung fu, but the whole like break dancing element into the sword play, yeah. where they're doing like the windmill—not the windmill, but yeah, the leg. That's right. Yeah, he does the. He does totally. He does the windmill with two of the swords. And I'm like, whoa! I think this is the earliest I've seen it in the film. And then also the barrel roll, where he does the barrel roll with the two swords. It's a good defense where it's like. There's a circle of people around him, and it's like, all right, let's get him. But then if you just start, like, flailing around in a 360 with two swords, it's like, you can't get that close. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, what a great defense mechanism. But also, like, what a dope dance move. It is. And this also, you know, comes out of the Peking Opera, like a lot of those dance moves. Mm -hmm. But also, like, um, you know, like, one of my favorite movies we'll eventually have to cover, uh, but Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, where, um, you know, it's like, it has all of those, those elements, which, you know, like, Kung Fu... Um, and I mean, beyond even like, I mean, obviously Wu-Tang is like the, the obvious point of interest because they, they use so much of it, but even like beyond that with like breakdancing and with the, the mix of even like Kung Fu and exploitation movies, like there is definitely like a shared, um, love and sympathy, appreciation, you know? yeah. yeah. And so you can totally see like these Kung Fu movies, you know, they're coming out, they're playing in 42nd Street, they're like... You know, or even on playing on TV, and you can feel that influence for people doing like urban dancing and break dancing, and you know, there's definitely there is a total shared history there. Yeah, uh, and you see it, yeah, and absolutely in all of that. Um, but yeah, and then there's the the final the final showdown where he has one fucking arm. He also doesn't want to fight forever too, like the. The girl has the sword that she's trying to give him, but he doesn't want it, and he's just like, no. And you, you will see that in some of these movies, even like uh, like King Boxer, there's the whole thing where he doesn't feel like he, you know, his hands have fucked up, and he can't do the iron hand, fist move, and um, which that actually, that movie also kind of is like the Barry Gordy's Last Dragon, where has like the, when he's about to fight, his hands start glowing, mm. um, put this like red lights on him. Uh, but yeah, so then he goes down, and he, it's like, this insane one against 300 people and he like slaughters everybody with one arm. That's how you do. And it's just like, I mean, all like he goes into the, the, the crazy house and he goes like, you know, everything on, on the, uh, you know, on that crazy bridge. Yeah. And then it's, you know, he ends up having like the, uh, the three swords and he ends up taking down the main dude. It's just the whole thing's just like so captivating and just, it's like hard to like, even to, I mean, it'd be easier to give an audio commentary for some of these fight scenes and just to like try to explain. Oh, yeah. Over, and it's like. How it all goes down to like at the bridge at the end, and then he ends up juggling swords to to counteract the, the tri bow yeah. staff deal, and he ends up, you know, killing him in the same way that he chopped off his own arm and, and pinned it to a tree. You're yeah. like, oh, that's poetic. But also, like, everyone's bad and shitty in this movie. So you're like. Who, who do you root for? Yeah, everyone, totally. everyone sucks. Well, that's one of the things that's really funny about some of these movies is so different than America because in American movies, um, 
you know, especially as we start talking about the gangster movies in the next. It's like white hat, black hat. Well, no, but I mean, like in in American gangster movies, they always even if you like kind of like the gangster, um, you know, like you have to show that they're bad people or they they you know can't get away with whatever. And a lot of people don't get away with anything in these movies. I mean, it, in a lot of these movies, kind of like film noir, it's like your hero might be dead. Um, he most likely probably will be. You know, mm-hmm. Not too many people, except for the first one, towards the end, you know, where he was able to walk away and live his life. Um, you know, a lot of people end up, you know, dead in a bloody mess. But, yeah, it's another thing. Slow mode. Everyone dies. At the end. Yeah, but there's definitely some. I'll, I'll save it for the next episode. But where it's like you would never see that in an American movie because you know you have to show that there are that all gangsters are terrible and that all and that's not necessarily the case. You know, there is kind of this. Um, element. And I think some of that also comes from, you know, a lot of Asian philosophy where there is kind of like the yin and yang and things aren't in these absolutes. Like things are kind of a combination of both uh, that we just don't really have. We like to keep things in, in absolutes where people are like very sympathetic and we can keep, they can keep our sympathies the whole way where uh, these movies aren't necessarily that concerned with that. And they can, they have a lot more. I mean, it's, it's funny too. I mean, talking about these movies like, on the one hand, they are very superficial and they're like very fun and whatever. But there is also there's a sensibility there that is very different than you know what you could do here. I mean, if you had a Marvel superhero that was that you know seemingly unsympathetic, it just mm-hmm. wouldn't fly. I mean, you have to make you have to appease all America yeah. or like a very broad audience. You can't just yeah yeah. It's those, much harder to get away. with Those that. days are over. Like when it comes to like the tortured hero. And stuff like the movies I grew up with in the '80s, uh, they weren't. Sh- I don't know. They weren't trying to appease like you know the global masses. They weren't thinking about like world numbers. Like, how is this movie going to play in China or wherever? That's why Tom Cruise does so well. He's the biggest global star ever because there has to be some sort of like sappy, sentimental arc for what whoever he plays. Yeah. Um, yeah, the only time I can remember him... I mean, he was an asshole in all of his movies. <laughs> Sorry to go into Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah, an no. asshole in all of his movies up until when it when it came time to like be a global dominant star. The last time I can remember him being like an asshole in a movie was that Edge of Tomorrow film. But even then, they had him switch to be kind of a hero at the end. It's just like... Uh. Yeah. But back in, you know, these days, it's like, whatever. It's Shaw Brothers. There's going to be a new film three weeks from now. Yeah. Taking its place. Well, and it makes me wonder, too, like, you know, now, um, you know, where things are very polarized, you know, politically, you know, things are very, um, you know, like, you have to constantly toe the line, and, you know, are you, you know, uh, are you offending anybody? Um, and I, I wonder if, you know, if, if in our media and the stories we told, the characters were a little bit more, um, you know, kind of a, a better mix of, these characters so that when like someone does something that's offensive or maybe not admirable it doesn't like totally derail the entire film you're just like well that's part of their complication that's their you know now I think if somebody does something like well this is and I understand it because I, yeah, I, you can get triggered that way but it's like oh this is like totally homophobic or this is racist or this is whatever where you're like if you just kind of the character is some of those things like yeah. a lot of people are then you know those things wouldn't necessarily stand out to take over like your impression of the entire project I don't know this is my thoughts it's like the the problem that people had with the the sequel to Sicario 
was there wasn't an Emily Blunt character. There wasn't a moral compass. Mm -hmm. So it was just all bad people doing bad shit. And I enjoyed the hell out of it. And then people just chalked it up to, um, which is a term that is loves to be thrown around these days with um, uh, ma toxic masculinity. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, sometimes masculinity be masculinity can be toxic but it can also be really entertaining yeah and there's, and there's those mixes and that's definitely what these movies are all about that kinds of like the type of masculinity in these movies yeah they're all like hyper violent and just crazy and not necessarily admire although in some ways they are i mean they have they these people all have like their code mm -hmm. you know or they have their own sense of honor or they have um so in some ways you know i mean the motherfucker chopped off his own arm because he said he would if he lost. On principle, yeah. Yeah, he, you can respect somebody with principles. You don't have to, like, you know, you don't want him to lead your country. Well, I mean, what are we doing now? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's fun. Yeah, These movies are fun. And I, this, is just, we're just, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, we'll end it here because we got so much more to talk about, which we will soon. If you don't belong to the Patreon, belong to it because yeah. if you can move on uh, from this episode right now, you can head on over to our Patreon. We are talking about David Lynch's, which I couldn't agree with the first couple times I watch it, which I'll get into in the Patreon, yeah. but masterpiece, in my opinion, and probably everybody else's that's seen it now and appreciates Lynch for who he is, Blue Velvet. Yeah. We're going to get into that. Which also is kind of a, a nice cap for the uh, the previous Yuppie Nightmares films. Yeah. So. It was the, the Yuppie Nightmare film we did include in the series because we it's just did not didn't. really a Yuppie, but it, is, he, it does have a lot of similarities to the series. Yeah, he's not a Yuppie. He's too young. He doesn't really have a job. They live in a small... I don't know. We'll get into that. Uh, check out the Patreon. Off, also, um, feel free, if you're listening, uh, to follow along and watch some of these movies. Uh, hit us up with any thoughts you have. Um... And yeah, it would be fun to get some feedback and hopefully get to enjoy these movies as well. Cool. Till then, let's keep it purely casual. Bye.